and we'll be in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. And as you're turning there, I want to take just a moment to shine the spotlight on Luke himself, the man that God inspired to give us this gospel, which includes both the words and deeds of Jesus. And the way that Luke put this together would be just with painstaking carefulness. Many of you know that Luke was a medical doctor. He was also a very careful historian. And much of what we have before us today, it is very possible, if not very likely, that it came from eyewitness interviews that he conducted with Mary at some point later in her life. It is believed that Luke likely sat down with her, asked her, so Mary, tell us about all that you experienced so long ago. And she, straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak, began to tell this wonderful tale of how Jesus came into this world. And this would have been of profound importance, not just for its value for Christians. Obviously, Luke lays out at the beginning of his gospel that he's he's writing these things so that people would know what they believe, but there's also a strong apologetic value to what we have in Luke as well. So perhaps if you stumbled upon this content today or you're joining us live and you're just here because somebody brought you or suggested you check out Christianity, we want you to know that we want to help you with those questions, that Luke wants to help you with those questions, that the God of the Bible wants to help you with those questions. So we're all going to gather around the, the, the story of Jesus over the next few weeks and how he came into this world, and we are going to be helped we're going to be inspired, we're going to be challenged, and most importantly, we're going to be changed. So let me pray for the Spirit's help, and we'll get right to work. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and, and, uh, and enlighten us into these texts today, that you would strengthen our hearts, that you would uh, inspire us to hope and to have greater wonder this Christmas than we ever had and that you would do all these things for the sake of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's pick it up right here in verse 26. It says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, <coughs> and the virgin's name was Mary. Now this Little verse right here is just full of information that needs to be unpacked. Let's start with Gabriel. So he is one of the named angels in the Bible. And anytime that he shows up, you're either in big trouble or he has big news. And thankfully for Mary and for all of us, he had the best news of all. And that is that Jesus was coming into this world and he was going to come through Mary. He had also just recently appeared to Mary's cousin Elizabeth to let her know that she was going to be pregnant with John the Baptist, who would be a forerunner from Jesus. And so clearly he plays a central part as God's messenger in this story. Now, it's also important to note where this encounter takes place. It's listed here as uh, a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So this was a, a, a very small town, to say the least. It was a dot on a map dot kind of place. Some historians believe that this would not uh, be a, a place of hundreds of people even, but maybe 20 to 50 to 100 people gathered in this little town uh, that, that was named Nazareth. And you know that 
people didn't think much about it because it doesn't appear anywhere else in any other ancient documents. It's not listed in the uh, Old Testament, the Apocrypha, the Talmud, uh, even Josephus had nothing to say about this, and Josephus had something to say about almost everything. Uh, and you even find that in John 1.46, there's a man named Nathaniel, when, when he is being called to follow Jesus, his response is basically this, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And he says it with such disdain and distaste that you can tell that the, the, the credibility of Nazareth was very low. But... Here's the thing. God chose for this place for a specific reason. And he chose this young lady and he chose Joseph, all for particular reasons. And we'll talk more about that in just a bit. But it's important to understand that all of this was fulfilling ancient prophecy. And it is here to communicate something very clearly about the God of the Bible and about Jesus and what he came to do. Now, you also find out here that Mary was a virgin. Now, if you're familiar with the Christmas story, this is not news to you, but it is important that we point this out for several reasons. Number one, because this is also fulfilled prophecy, and if we can't trust that this is true, well, then we have big problems trusting the Bible, both Old and New Testaments, because it is a big deal in the life of who, uh, in the story of who Jesus was and is and, and will always be. And we need to understand this both textually and practically. Now, it is true that this word virgin could be used simply to refer to a young maiden. It is used like that uh, in other places in literature. But that is not the way that Luke is using this word. He clearly says what he means and means what he says. Mary was a young lady. Uh, there's a little bit of debate on exactly how old she would have been. Uh, probably a teenager, a young teenager perhaps even, and she had not been with a man. And so when we think about this, kind of like Jesus being from Nazareth, this part of the story is another thing that we can say, man, God is up to something here. What is it that he is trying to communicate? Well, we'll keep pulling that thread as we work through this passage. Now, we also see here, that she was betrothed to be married. Now, we don't have an exact one-to-one -one parallel in our culture for what this means, but this is basically like an engagement on steroids. Uh, there would have been a pledge, a betrothal pledge for them to, to say, Mary and Joseph, you two guys are going to get married. There would have even been a simple ceremony that was almost like a wedding minus the honeymoon night. And then there would be a year, an entire year, uh, where the, it, basically the pledge of this woman's virginity would, there, that's enough time that there won't be a baby pop up and so on and so forth. And then at the end of that time, they have the full uh, service and then the honeymoon night and so on and so forth. But it was such a serious commitment that one would basically have to get almost a writ of divorce uh, for it to be broken. And so this shows us something that uh, is going to be profound as we work through the Christmas story, the, the, the kind of man that Joseph was, the kind of integrity that he walked in and how he cared about Mary and so on and so forth. And we also learn here, as Luke tells us about Joseph, that he was from the right bloodline. It says he was from the house of David. 
And that, of course, is uh, David would have been the, the greatest king in, in all of Israel's history uh, other than Jesus. And so that was the bloodline that, that God chose to bring Jesus through. So uh, he would have been part of that lineage that also fulfills the prophecy. But when you take all this together and you think about Mary and you think about Joseph and you think about the fact that this is happening in Nazareth, it leads us to this principle. And that is that God uses nobodies from nowhere to change the course of human history. Nobody's from nowhere to change the course of human history. And let me tell you something, that is good news for us, isn't it? Because some of us who are watching this, what do we feel like sometimes? What about many times? We feel like nobodies from nowhere. We feel like some days we have nothing to offer, even to those closest to us. But when we see this Christmas story, we can see what happens when God gets involved? Everything qualitatively changes. And you know what? Sometimes it is our, our insignificance that qualifies us to be used by God. Because, because what is the central story in the Bible? It is, it is God's glory, his name, his renown. What is the central theme in all of history? It is God's glory, his name, his renown. And he uses these people who seem to have not much to offer, and he raises them up to be central characters in the most important story that has ever been told. And here we are thousands of years later talking about it. And he still does that kind of thing today. Now, he has a different part for you to play than the party chose for Mary and the party chose for Joseph. But that simple faithfulness to just get on board with the name and the fame and the plan of God and to do what he wants, when he wants, the way that he wants it done. Oh, friends, that is the nexus of true joy in this life. You want to have true fulfillment? Get on board with God and do what he wants to do. You want to experience true meaning in life? Get on board with God and what he wants to do. Will it be easy? It won't. But will it be the most important thing you ever did? It will. And so when we see this and we see these nobodies from nowhere that God uses in such a significant way, oh, it needs to encourage us. It needs to inspire us. And when you pull open the rest of the Bible, you see this is the kind of thing that God has done all along. In fact, he says as much in 1 Corinthians 1, 27. He says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And you think about the, the book that we're working through right now with Nehemiah. I mean, that, he was just a guy. He was strategically placed in the right place at the right time. But you know what? He got on board with who God was and what God was doing. And look at what happened. They rebuilt that wall. Temple worship was reinstituted. The world began to change. And then Jesus came out of that tiny little nation. Friends, we need to be inspired. We need to be challenged. We need to be heartened by this. And you might say, but Dustin, I'm just a person that works in maintenance. I'm just a person that stays home with their children. I'm the lowest person on the totem pole at work. None of that matters. If you are on board with God and you are doing what God calls you to do, oh, friends, what joy, what meaning, what purpose, what impact you can have 
won't be the same as Mary and Joseph, but that same kind of faithfulness, oh friend, who by the grace of God, may we walk in it. May we experience the joy that comes from it. And may we get to see what only God can do. Now, look at verse 28, because here we learn a little bit more <coughs> about Mary through what the angel had to say. It says, and he came to her and said, greetings, <coughs> O favored one, the Lord is with you. And this literally means full of grace. And there's definitely some confusion out there about that. The Roman Catholic Church looks at this and says it's, it's almost like Mary is a repository. She had so much grace that she is now able to dispense it to others. That's not what Luke is saying, and that's not what the Bible teaches. What this means is she has been shown an immense grace from God. So she's going to be used in a great way because the great God has chosen her for this purpose. And unexpectedly expectedly so, this kind of freaks Mary out a bit. Look at this. It says, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, Mary would have been afraid for several reasons. First of all, she lived in a tiny town with no lights, <laughs> no cable TV. They're out in the middle of nowhere. There's maybe 100 people in the whole town. And here you see this famous angel who shows up in dazzling clothes I think we'd be freaked out too. So there's that. But then beyond that, there were some anecdotal folklore stories of angels uh, that, or excuse me, angels that were, were doing things that were unseemly. That, that would have been terrifying of knowing those stories. And then also, it's never a good idea, particularly at this time in history, for a, a younger girl to be with an older man for all the things that could go wrong there. So she's, she's kind of freaked out for all these different reasons. And what is it that this angel says? Look at it again. Don't be afraid, for you have found favor with God. Now, I think there's even a little small principle for us here, because Mary's going along through her life, and I guarantee she did not get up that morning and say, hey, I'm going to have an encounter with an angel, and it's going to radically change my life in the course of history. When, when unexpected things happen, when God intervenes in ways that we don't expect, and that are surprising, and sometimes, if we're honest, we don't even like them, it can be jarring to us. But you know what? Through the scriptures, through trusted confidants, through his church, through many avenues, God communicates the same message to us that he communicated to Mary. Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. Can I give you some good news today? If you have turned from your sins and trusted in Christ, what was true of Mary in that statement is true of you. You have found favor with God. Not because you're a great guy or because you really obeyed well this week, but because the obedience of Jesus Christ has been counted on your account. The grace of God rests on you like a blanket. His favor is upon you because of Jesus. So when unexpected things happen in your life, you're going to be okay. When unwanted things happen in your life, you're going to be okay because God is with you. His favor rests upon you. 
And we see that that heartened Mary. As we get this further explanation of what the angel said, take a look at it. It says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb <coughs> and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now, without reading too much into the text here, I guarantee you that is not the family plan that Mary and Joseph had for their lives. The idea would have probably been that they would have hoped for a kid or two, maybe a small family. And here, Mary is being told their son is going to be the most important baby that has ever been born. And he will rule and reign over the earth and his kingdom will have no end. Can you imagine that? That mind-blowing moment. And so when Mary asks in the next verse, it says, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? That's a totally understandable question, but we got to understand it rightly because this is a question of wonder, not a question of unbelief. This is much more of a, how can this be possible than a, I don't believe that's possible. She's enthralled by it. She's wanting to understand how God is going to do this, but look what she's not. She's not angry. She's not throwing things about how this is messing up her, her life and her plan. There's no belligerence here. There's awe here. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and therefore the child will be born. It will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now there are a lot of Old Testament parallels and language here who this Jesus will be. The fact that he will be holy means that he will be perfect and blameless without stain or spot. For him to be called the son of the most high <coughs> in that day, if someone was the son of someone, it meant that they were endowed with all the rights and the privileges of their father. So her perfect son is gonna be charged with the greatness and the glory of God and have a kingdom that never ends. And I love the care of God that we see in this next verse here. The angel <coughs> helps her make a connection that otherwise she may not have initially made herself. He says, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So what do we learn from this response? Well, I think there's a couple of things. The first one is that Mary provides a powerful example for us to follow. Now, again, there's some confusion about this here. We're not talking about venerating Mary or lifting her up to a status that, that, that she should have never received, but we are talking about learning from an exemplary sister in Christ. And I remember as my own daughters were very small, and we still do this even now, being able to point 
these kinds of character qualities out about Mary to them to say, girls, this is the kind of girl you want to be as you grow and as you age. Someone who knows the Bible, they're faithful in their place. They play their role. They do what God wants them to do. They have strong courage in the face of great unexpected things and great adversity and all that she was going to have to endure and the, the looks and the sneers and the, the doubt that would have come from other people as she goes through her pregnancy being not yet consummated in marriage. All these kinds of things about Mary are wonderful, powerful examples for us to follow. They would have been such an encouragement and they should still be an encouragement to us today. So not to a place of veneration, but 100% to a place of appreciation. And it's not just for girls. Men, there are many wonderful qualities that I just listed that apply to us as well. And then if you expand that circle to think about Joseph, some of the other Gospels will give us a little more insight here into that, to kind of what he would have been about. He is a wonderful example of, of Gospel manhood for us. For a lot of those same reasons of uh, of how he took care of Mary. <clears throat> and, and when the, the angel revealed to him what was actually going on, it, it really stepping that up and all that he would have endured. This little couple, these nobodies from nowhere, would have been such a powerful example for us to follow. And so even by their example, I think it gives us another opportunity to remind ourselves that there are eyes that are upon us as well both little ones at our feet and other ones in the office in the neighborhood. People are watching. The way that we live does matter. It matters before God and it matters before others. So we want to, by the grace of God, for the glory of God, walk in this kind of example that Mary has given us. And let me also tell you something too. The, the, the courage that she shows here is profound because what could have happened to her when she signs on the dotted line to be a part of God's plan is that from it had God not intervened what often happened to girls who showed up pregnant at this time was that they were killed for their fornication they were taken out in what would have been the the functional equivalent of the town square at that time they would have been stripped naked and they they could have been redressed in rags to symbolize their sin. And then there was a part of the law that, that allowed for them to even be killed. And so Mary shows great and immense courage for being willing to do what God has assigned her to do. Again, an exemplary characteristic that we all want to aspire to by the grace of God for the glory of God. But for as much as I love to talk about Mary and Joseph in this passage, who's the real hero here? Oh, friends, it's God. It is God. Look back at the last thing that Mary says. I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then right before that, what was it that the angel said? For nothing is impossible with God. And that is, I think, perhaps the greatest truth that we need to take from this passage. That nothing is impossible for God. And you think about that. That is a story that is told throughout 
all of the Bible is in. Let's start in the very, very beginning, in the garden. Adam and Eve are basically given one assignment. What do they do? They fail just a few pages into the book. Looks like there's absolutely no hope for them. And then God steps in and does the impossible. He provides for them clothes to wear. He forecasts that there is a snake crusher that is coming to make right all that everything that had just been made wrong. And you follow that story. You look at the children of Israel and the Exodus. They are under the thumb of Pharaoh. They, they, they finally get out. And even as they're going away, they get to the Red Sea. And what has to happen for them to, to survive? God has to open it up. But yet again, he does the impossible. And as soon as they get to the other side, he closes up the Red Sea and takes away the people that were trying to kill them. You fast forward the movie, the Old Testament a little bit more. You look at Abraham. You look at all the tight spots that he got into. There should have been no way that he should have survived some of what he was involved in. And yet, he became the father of many nations. You look at the story of Nehemiah that we've been studying. There's no way that that man and his unskilled workforce should have been able to rebuild that wall at all, certainly not in 52 days. There's no way they should have uh, uh, survived the onslaught of Sanballat and Tobiah and all the other enemies that were against them, but yet God, time after time after time, does the impossible. <coughs> you get to the New Testament. You look at the book of Acts. They started off strong, looked good in chapter one and chapter two. And then by chapter three, the wheels have come off. There's persecution, there's trouble all around. There's no way that the church should have ever survived. And yet here we sit today because nothing is impossible with God. Do you hear that today? Do you feel that today? That whatever it is that you are facing, whether it's financial, whether it's with your health, whether it's a fractured relationship, whether it's just with the strength to get out of bed and do what you need to do each day. There is strength for you. There is divine intervention for you. There is the power and the resource of God on your behalf that can be brought to bear. Nothing is impossible for him. And I hope you know it today. I hope you feel it. I hope that the Christmas story and the Christmas season lifts your eyes, even in the midst of some very difficult circumstances, so that you would be reminded again and again, nothing is impossible for God. And friends, you know we see this so clearly in the gospel, don't we? Because this little Jesus that is being prophesied here well, he comes just like the angel said that he would. And he goes on and he lives a perfect life. He dies a substitute's death on the cross for our sins. And he gloriously rises again and proves with his own death, burial, and resurrection that nothing is impossible for God. That he can take broken sinners like us and he can make us sons and daughters. Because nothing is impossible for God. And some of you who hear that today, you need to hear that 
with the weight of salvation. Because some of you who are watching this, you'd say, you know what? That applies to everybody else, but you don't know where I've been, what I've done, the shame, the guilt that I feel. Friend, nothing is impossible for God. He can save you and forgive you just like he did me. And his ask of you is that you would turn from your sins, that you would trust in Christ, and that you would transfer the leadership of your life over to him. And if you will do that, friends, you'll see it for yourself. He'll save you. Nothing is impossible for him. And for many who have made that turn today, you feel weighed down in some way. You feel burdened in some way. You feel broken in some way. Friends, nothing is impossible for God. Christmas proves it. The Old Testament, the New Testament, all the stories prove it. And the gospel proves it. So wherever it is today that you feel the most broken, the most weighed down, I want you to bring it to the Lord right now. And let's pray and let's see what only God can do in response. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that we can gather around it and have our hearts warmed. We pray that you would write it on our hearts, that we would experience a greater sense of wonder in this season, that we would believe all of who you are and what you've done for us in Christ. And we pray all this in Jesus' mighty name.